What's up, family? You're tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. But how do we get there? How do we build a world many of us have only seen in our dreams? That's where we believe the artists come in. Every week, we will feature a different artist holding down one of the most important contributions to our movement to help us imagine a different, more liberated world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is Ryan Nicole. In her own words, she's an artist, actress, activist, athlete, wife, sister, daughter, woman, black woman. And for the record, one of the dopest female MCs I've ever heard spit. Good morning, Good Ryan. Good morning. Nicole. Good morning. Thank you, Kat. Man, I'm I am so stoked to have you on the show. I know you are very, very, very busy. I'm high. Um <laughs> we're gonna talk about a little bit of art, a little bit of activism, and um a little bit about how I've been watching you more and more merge those two things into what uh many of us call artivism. Um but I want to start a little bit about you, uh, sis. I mean, you, you act, as I said, you rap, you write, you direct. Um, so it's not like I say, like, when did you discover music? I guess the, <laughs> the, the broader question is, like, when did you discover art? Yeah, from the very beginning, I think. You know, I think I'm steeped in it. My, my earliest memories are hearing my dad play guitar and, um, you know, smelling like the smelling coffee. Uh, grounds and and hearing him sing James Taylor songs or some version of a song that he's he created himself um there's always been music there's always been culture all around me um it's not separate from my identity or my being you know um and I'm sure that's true for a lot of folks but because it's so integral to my life it feels like a necessity to create it and not just consume it um so, yeah, it's 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 always been around. And I, I believe I've heard you tell this story in some space that we've been in together. Um, but uh, in terms of becoming an MC, right, I'm, I'm not going to talk about what what decade we're in <laughs> in terms of our age. But <laughs> uh, when you started that path, right, it, it certainly wasn't as common as it is now. Yeah. To see uh, uh, sisters, you know, rocking the mic the way you do. Factuals, factuals. Yeah, um, I came into emceeing through the uh, byways of spoken word, came into spoken word through the byways of being like uh, just an essayist and writer, um, and came into that by writing in my diary because I was having a hard time articulating um, my big, big feelings. Um, the emceeing, I came to it kind of reluctantly. It's funny because I really thought I was an MC really early on. Uh, and shared a rhyme with my cousin around the age of 13 and he laughed and that's when I put my rhyme book away <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, um, then you know came back into it through spoken word poetry I was doing spoken word and I had a few brother MC friends who were like yo like this is your emceeing right like you're you're emceeing I don't know why you just don't do this over a beat I was very reluctant um for a few reasons, but mainly because it was a space that just didn't feel very welcoming to women. Um, at least not the way that I wanted to be a woman. <laughs> uh, you mm. know, I wanted to be able to be acknowledged and appreciated for the intellect and the craft that it takes to write a rhyme. Um, again, I came to emceeing 
as a as a writer and somebody who was deeply in love with words um and i felt that a lot of women at the time um with exception of lauren hill and even even with lauren hill because she kind of was at her at her nadir at the time of me coming around as an mc um people weren't appreciating the the ability of women mcs to brilliantly craft language um and and were you know so caught up in what was happening aesthetically um and so i just didn't feel like it was a welcome space for me but um again at the behest of these two brothers who were like listen if somebody comes for you in the cypher like we're on their head if they weren't both on my shoulders uh i probably wouldn't have become an mc well thank you to those two brothers whoever they were because you bless us um thank you with, with, with your lyrics often i'll I'll say just clearly, it's K-E-V, uh, Kevin Akitanor, and um, this brother named Marshawn, who is no longer in the Bay. But uh, yeah, they became my first MC crew. All right. No longer in the Bay. A lot of Black folks <laughs> uh, <laughs> are no longer in the Bay. Sis, you are an Oakland native. Yes. Um, I'm born and raised in Las Vegas. I don't rep that <laughs> any pride. But boy, did I learn swift and quick when I moved here. That is something that folks, particularly black folks that were born and raised uh, in Oakland, where where we both uh, reside still, gratefully. Um, Talk about growing up in the town then and how it has changed and three parts, how that has impacted um, some of the art that you do in response. I'll say this and then I'll, I'll backtrack. All the art that I create is Oakland centric, all of it. Um, in the same way that it is black centric in the same way that it is woman centric. So I just want to start with that caveat. Oakland's changed significantly in, in a lot of topical ways, but I think the soul of Oakland is still very much the same in the same way that you can't really change the soul of a person, even though they grow up through experiences and they seem different. Uh, you know, whether uh, because of the circumstances of life, really the soul of a person never changes. And so I feel like the soul of Oakland is still here, which is why I'm still committed to this region. Um, But, you know, on the surface, Oakland's demographics, we've heard it in so many different arenas, Oakland's demographics have changed radically. Um, You know, when I was growing up, I want to say the city was about 17% Black. and, and that had, I mean, you know, that had its ramifications. It permeated through all aspects of our lives. We were playing softball and baseball on the little league teams, and those were full of black and brown kids um, and full of black and brown coaches and fathers and parents and families and so on, so on and so forth. Um, you know, all of the schools, all of the public schools had their, um, had a representation, a, a black contingent a strong black contingent, and and that is not the same. You you look at the landscape now of a place like Tech, Oakland Tech High School, which is not where I went. I went to Skyline, but um, Oakland Tech was you know very black and very proudly black and represented as such in in film and so on and so forth. And now you know you look at the landscape, and just a couple of days ago, black kids were being threatened. You know they couldn't even come to school without being um, threatened by uh, with violence. You know. 
Um, and so that is an indicator of how the city has changed. Um, you know, I felt like I felt like I could access culture and art in real informal ways. And of course, I was a kid being kind of squired about by my parents, but I felt like it was all over. I felt like I could we could pop over to the flea market and then we could go down to the lake and there was drums playing and there was music happening. And, you know, if it wasn't a formal event like festival at the lake, it was somebody dancing um, under the uh under the amphitheater, you know, um, there was always culture and music happening and it didn't feel like we had to pay to access it. Um, it's different now. It's really different. There were also house parties and things like this going on that, um, again, I was privy to because my parents took me around. Um, and I don't feel like it's the same atmosphere. I feel like everything has to be curated. Um, and that informality doesn't exist. So me as an MC, who likes the art of freestyle or, you know, like the art of jazz, that improvisational nature of Oakland and the Bay has shifted significantly. Um, you know, I think I, I came of age, um, I, I, I was a young person at the end of the crack era. Um, and that was kind of the end of that informality, that end of house party, end of what they currently call loitering, but you know, just barbecuing, uh, you know what I'm saying? Barbecuing yeah. and kicking it. Um, you know, the end of just being on the corner and hearing cats freestyle and rhyme and all. And so all of that has shifted the way that we gather and the way that we access culture. Um, but again, I think that soul is there. It's just behind the walls. It's behind the chains it's behind it's regulated. Um, so, yeah. Regulated and, and criminalized. Yes, ma'am. Um, when you were talking about the drumming at the lake, you know, my, my mind went to that young man. Yeah. I don't know, it was like three, three, four years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, right? They right. called the cops on this child. Kid, literal kid. Baby. Yeah. Maybe thirty. For drumming. Yeah. Yeah. For drumming at the lake. Right. Right. Um but the industry, right? Music, the 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 this uh this country has always criminalized the drum beat, right? right? Knowing that that is our heartbeat. Right. Criminalized it and commodified it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That part. <laughs> um, <laughs> um since you have and I and I'm a thank you, uh, you know, in front of all of our listeners. I mean, I think you know, I, I started organizing in Oakland like time I hit the streets here mm -hmm. uh, uh, almost 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's a squad of you, you, uh, Kev Choice, Jen Johns. Um, whenever we called, like before you and I even had a relationship, whenever we called, you all showed up. And so I want to thank you that for that. And, and, and that was at a time where we didn't have any any ducats <laughs> to, say, <laughs> to say thank you. You know, we were pooling our own funds to be able to get, uh, you know, anything to, to rent a, a, a mediocre at best sound system, but y'all <laughs> always came. So yeah. I've always known you yeah. to use your art as a tool for social change and, and give it, you know, as a gift to the people. But um, when the, the, the massacre, the mass murder of, of black folks, particularly black women, elders, our grannies uh, happened at the grocery store in Buffalo, New York, uh, we had a vigil. <clears throat> at OG Plaza, which uh, for folks who don't know, uh, is downtown Oakland outside of City Hall um, in a space where we gather to, to begin protests. And um, since you came 
And I was fully expecting you to spit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, and I'm going to, I'm going to, as best as I can paraphrase what you said, feel free to correct me, right? If I get any of it wrong, but instead of spitting, you spoke to the people and, and something that sat with me was you, you said basically it was towards the end of, of, of what you were talking about that things had gotten to a place and a space and a point in time that the people were not going to see you spitting mm-hmm. just to spit. Mm-hmm. You weren't going to show up and just perform. I don't think I've, I've never seen you do that, but you know, you also make a living as an artist. So I get it. Mm-hmm. But that there has been, and I've watched you right. Even your social media posts, right. I've, I've just, I've watched. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that your activism has been on this path of evolving um, and intersected with your art Um in a way where I would say, you know, you're you're an artist. These two things blend. And I'm just interested in what your journey has been over the last, I don't know, two. When when, when did that woman that's our mayor take office? Oh, almost four years ago, actually. Uh, Yeah. I don't say certain names if I don't have to, but. um, uh, It's like the boogeyman. (laughs) You know what I mean? Don't don't manifest them. Right. Um, But I might be wrong, but that feels like, and you and I were having conversations, right? Even mm-hmm. like around the inauguration, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what and where artists were going to do, why. Um, but I've watched you and I just, I would love for you to, to just talk about the last few years and that evolution and, and with the decision you've made Yeah. Um, to, to, to be more vocal, to speak out both as an activist and an artist. For sure. I would say this is actually the second life of, that focus and that purpose for me. And when I came out as a MC and really as a spoken word artist, it was all about activism. It was all about, um, I mean, I was, I was an executive director uh, of a youth nonprofit at the time. And so I was frontline engaging with young people who were dealing with, with Oscar Grant, you know, literally like kids who I would call, I was calling into the building because they were ready to go and, and take it to the streets um, and, and not in an organized way. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, so that that was kind of my uh, original life as an MC as an, uh, and an artist in this region. And I felt so unheard and um, so muted and so disorganized that I kind of quieted myself, refocused and um, asked myself a lot of questions and frankly like had to figure out how to get my money right because I was also asking uh, the community to resource me in a way that the community wasn't available for Um, and so I had to figure out how to get the money up get my bread right so that I was taken care of in my life so that I could really focus my message um, and and separate it from from resource acquisition to be honest Um, and that happened to that the, the ability to kind of stabilize myself and then um, the timing of this current era dovetailed nicely. Frankly, there's never been a time where we haven't, where the urgency hasn't been high, where we have needed to speak up. Like, I feel like we've always needed to say something. There's always been a necessity for activism. I came into art because I, I wanted to be somebody who found a way to make people dance to the revolution. Feel like if you can, if you can, mm. if you can make the chant to your um, liberation danceable, 
and a mantra, then then there's nothing else that you do. You know what I mean? It, it becomes part of your body. You physicalize it and then you have to walk in that path. You're compelled. Um, so that's always been my focus, but I got quiet. And then my second life of, of this art um, is, is probably in the last, you know, four or five years or so. And I've been compelled, even though I don't feel like the word is crafted ideally or the, the brand is crafted in the right way. I feel like God has been like, this is the gift I've given you. If you do not use it, I will take it away. It's the parable of the talents. Um, mm. And, you know, don't worry about how it is packaged in the moment. Just just allow, be, be a clear vessel and allow it to come through. As clear a vessel as I can be under all of the mommy, wifely mm-hmm. duress that I have, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's been urgent, right? Like these times are so urgent, um, but they've always felt urgent to me. But I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir when I speak to you in that I know that you know that there's never been a time where we've had to put our pedal to the metal um, and try to galvanize our people. And my way is just to try to get them to seduce them into revolution frankly like mm. you know like oh that song slap oh wait a minute am i rapping the 10 point platform right now wait a <laughs> s- you know like oh snap i thought that you know i thought those were just some hot lyrics that's actually that's actually the strategy to overtake the system or whatever you know um and it's been a real delicate weaving of that strategy uh, you know sometimes i come off too proselytizing probably most times um and I'm trying to figure a way to like, again, just make it, make it danceable, make these people feel like they're partying before they realize they're actually moving. Cause you know, you know how our people are. They, they're reticent to change. We are reticent to change. Um, and we're reticent to receiving the medicine, even if we're sick and on our deathbed. Um, and so you got to give it with sugar as best you can. Um, and, and so that's been my process of late. There's not a lot of sugar. It's just, I'm, I'm a grown woman and I'm like, listen, y'all, we, we can't be partying all the time. Like we, we have to hear it. We have to take the medicine. This is where we are in our evolution. And so, yeah, it may come off as a, as a sermon. It may come off as a, as a hot track, um, it may come off as some other kind of art piece theater or what have you. However it comes, I'm not, I'm not confining it anymore in this second life. Um, I, I could talk to you for a really long time, but, uh, the, 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 especially because we, you know, between my life and your life, mm-hmm. finding space to talk uh, is, is a little difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but we only have a few minutes left, and I'm just wondering if you could uh, spit some of your brilliance for the folks that are tuned in. For sure. Thank you for the brilliance. Let's see. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> this is called Fruit Flies, and it was actually inspired by Parable of the Sower. Um, you could pull from it how you, how you want to. But. When the march became monotonous, it became synonymous with the walk to Auschwitz. I wonder who we follow. Who's the first in line? And if he obeyed his conscience, if one of us broke free right now, will we betray our providence? Is this our fate, God? 
am I to say, is it my place to play the prey so generations have a taste, God? For retribution, bloodthirsty for solutions lasting longer than our stubbornness, refusal to arise from the confusion, Allah. I let this iron sharpen iron, but when I am iron deficient, carotids look delicious. Time is running out, and if I obey these wishes, might not make it to the mountain, just be stuck here in the bushes, burning, yearning to make a difference, so I'm listening. For my marching orders, a whisper, a sign, for the wind to shift the shifting of these paradigms. If this is a pilgrimage across the sea, a trail of tears, will it be me to break the beast, God? I pray it is. For my marching orders, a whisper, a sign, for the wind to shift the shifting of these paradigms. If this is a pilgrimage across the sea, a trail of tears, will it be me to break the beast, God? I pray it is. We come accustomed to a fruit that's overripened, falling off the vine and out of time, it's nearly lifeless. The curious correlation is our comfort nights, our fear is high, our fear is heightened. We like a thing so sweet it's sour, our seduction frightening. We like our tempted, taunted, taught with fear, taught to fear of anything re real, sincere, or side-eyed. While the cynics get our ears, we hear, not listen, touch with no feeling, empty, we eating, thinking, not finding, seeking, not wise. We just wishing, sitting for some better days. Waiting on a Messiah, pray someday someone will save. We lay our hopes, invest in icons, celebs, and wonder why come we kind out of our senses when the six we should have heeded, needing to breathe and seek inside the God of our unconscious, not just God up in the sky. Life is about reliance on self, and that ain't blasphemy. Lesson from my sign I felt, and as for me and mine, we listening for our marching orders, a sign for the wind to shift the shifting of these paradigms. If this is a pilgrimage across the sea, a trail of tears, will it be me to break the beast? God, I pray it is. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, what projects uh, are you working on right now? What should folks be on the lookout for? Um, be on the lookout for co-founders, the musical. Um, it is... Remember, I said I like to package the revolution, something sweet sometimes. It is a, um, a funny musical about the tech boom in this region. It is uh, the story of two unlikely co-founders who come together to chase an impossible dream. Um, and there's a detour in there. So I'll say that much. Um, <clears throat> it's about, I'll say this much, it's about reimagining the systems that we govern ourselves by. Um, and then, uh, so that's been like the, the magnum opus of the last like four years of my, like I've been working like mad on that piece. Uh, it's taken a lot of my time. Um, in the meantime, I'm also just writing and rhyming and dropping bars where and when I can. Um, <clears throat> I'm on a lot of projects, featured on a lot of projects. Uh, of late, I've been working with Coco Pela and Maddie Clifford on a project called Still I Rise Oakland, um, three Black women from this region who are questioning uh, misogyny and misogynoir in our popular media um, and investigating that. And we have a vodcast coming out called What's Pimpin'? <laughs> okay. Okay. And a collaborative EP, um, as well as three individual EPs that'll drop next year. And then um, <clears throat> I've also been writing some. I've been commissioned to write some work. Uh, I have a new song that's getting ready to drop called uh, "Small but Mighty." Um, it is commissioned by SF Baykeeper, which is a coastline, um, a coastline a group that's uh, activists as it pertains to our coastline and helping to regulate the unregulated corporations who are, are ruining our bay. 
um, and really how that trickles into the people like you and I, you know, I live not far, I live in West Oakland. And so this is a, uh, I live in the toxic triangle, um, you know, and there are corporations who are leaking very bad things into our, our waterways, um, and into our drinking water, our groundwater. Um, and I'm trying to disrupt that, uh, through popular media. Um, and so I've been able to partner with some really great organizations in doing that. And then finally, there's a song, (laughs) sorry, there's a song with Coco, um, and I am the dreamer called I am Jane Rowe, uh, which we were constructing before the change of this, uh, of the, um, Roe versus Wade verdict. Um, yeah, so that's out right now too. Um, Ryan Nicole, where can people find you on the socials? You can find me at Miss Ryan Nicole, M-S-R-Y-A-N-N-I-C-O-L-E, um, all on all the socials. So it's all consistent across the internet. Also, that's my website, M-S-R-Y-A-N-N-I-C-O-L-E.com. And then if you lose sight of that and you just need to Google, just Google Ryan Nicole. As I always say, I'm the black girl with the big forehead and the big eyes. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Sis, thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very, very busy schedule uh, to talk it. to us this today. Is, this is an honor. I really appreciate you, Kat, and all the work that you're always doing. Same, same. All right, family, we're going to wrap this up. You were listening to Law Order. I'm your host, Kat Brooks, and this has been Resistance in Residence with this week's feature, the one, the only, Ms. Ryan Nicole. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. Fam.